Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. He's in Louisiana. The strange thing about Louisiana, living down there and growing up down there, is our lakes stay thawed all year long. Not the case up here. Not at all. And Sharon and I feel so blessed. We still pinch ourselves that we have the privilege of living on a lake up here. I get home Friday afternoon, and I can see, because of the truck parked in my side yard, that a couple guys from our church are out there ice fishing. Which is great. I mean, any, any of you want to come and, you know, park in my yard, go fish out on a lake? Fine, you know. Uh, let me just warn you, make sure you have your fishing license. Okay? You want to have your fishing license. But feel free to... And that reminds me of something else, too. Let me chase another rabbit. Uh, church families, speaking of winter, feel free. If you've got little ones at home and they're getting, you know, cabin fever and you want to bring them up to the church where they can run around the gym or play in the... In the uh, fun zone. Bring them up here and do that. This is your church, and you tithe, and you give, and that's just one of the perks, if you will, or if a couple moms or a couple dads want to just come up here and let them run around the gym, take some of the balls out of the the storage room there, some of the things, feel free to do that. Also, if if any of you, you know, we have an open house season coming up in the spring, and, you know, if you want to have a graduate's open house here, or sometimes we've had families have their Christmas dinner here. And if there's not something on the schedule, you know, feel free. This is a great place. You know, you can use the kitchen. You can use the fireplace room. This is your church. And I want you up here as, as often as you can be here. You know, we like you being around. Like Brother Bob said the night of our business meeting, since he's retired, he's been coming up here a lot. In fact, he's established an office here at the church for his church treasurer duties. And he's, he mentioned Wednesday night at the, our business meeting that he's surprised at how busy this place is <clears throat> during the week. And like I tell you, what you see on Sunday is just a part of what goes on around here. So again, you know, any of you couples with kids or whatever, or any of you guys want to come up and shoot basketball, I like for this being uh, a busy place. Now, back to the lake. So I get home, and I see that I, I, a couple guys are out there, so I tell Sharon, you know, we got home about 5.30 or close to 6 o'clock. So I tell Sharon, I said, I'm going to walk out there and see how they're doing, see if they're catching anything. So I go down to the, uh, the bottom step, and I'm getting ready to step on the lake, and I pause for a second. It was a beautiful evening, no wind, it was quiet. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and I hear, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Folks, that is so weird. Now, it wasn't my stomach doing that. I'm just making a sound. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The sound a lake makes? That still freaks me out. (laughs) But at the same time, it's extremely cool to hear hear that sound. In fact, I I called Sharon. She was was up in the house. And I said, you know, come down here. I I said, hurry, because I didn't know if it was going to stop or something. I said, "You, you need to hear that. And we had heard it years ago, but it's been a long time since I've been down there on the lake in the, in the winter. I try to avoid it in the winter. But uh, went down and heard it. That's just a neat, that's a neat thing. Folks down south don't even know that exists. But that was uh, really a, a cool thing. Now, what isn't cool is the debate over Calvinism. 
And it is a hotly debated issue. Uh, particularly so these days in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not a part of the, we're Baptists, but we're not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. But it has been quite a controversial issue there. So this morning and this afternoon, I want to basically teach you what it is and why I think it's wrong. And if you are a Calvinist and you have sincerely held beliefs, I don't dislike you. I think you're wrong, but we can get along and and you can be here. You know, don't start any controversy about it because then I'll call you on it. But if it's a personal belief you have, you know, I just say, listen to me. I want to make the case and and we can still we can still get along. Because as you're going to see in a second, there's some well-known folks, some names I'm going to mention of, you know, nationally known pastors that are Calvinists. And while I disagree with them on their Calvinism, that doesn't mean they're wrong on everything. And I quote some of these guys. So, uh, but somebody that wants to be contentious about it, then yeah, you'd have a fight on your hands. And we haven't had that, and I don't expect to have that. But it, it, it is a subject that as a pastor, I'm going to answer for you. And I need to make sure that you are informed And I think you need to know why I believe what I believe about it. In fact, I'll start off saying this. One of the most famous Calvinists today is, uh, I just, I just, John MacArthur. John MacArthur. And I told this to the adult Sunday school class this morning. John MacArthur is a Calvinist. Yet I'll quote him because John MacArthur is also a very astute theologian. But I think he's wrong in that area. But I have heard John MacArthur give it his best shot. I've heard him preach on Calvinism and what he believes about it, and why he believes it. I've listened to him. I've listened to him with open ears and an open heart, because if I'm wrong, I'm going to change, because I want to be right. I don't want to be hard-headed. I want to be right. And I gave him a chance. I I don't know how many messages I listened to by him preach on that subject. And I listen with an open ears and open heart, and he's as knowledgeable and deep a theologian as you're going to hear. And I thought, if anybody can make the case, if anybody can convince me it's him... And I listened to him openly. Do you, do you remember? I think you, you and I were listening to him. Most of that was in the car, listening to it uh, on a CD or the old cassette tapes or whatever. And I listened to And I couldn't disagree with him more after I heard him. And so I am absolutely convinced that my views on Calvinism are correct. I am perplexed how those guys can believe it. i got to be honest with you. I don't know how they can sincerely hold on to their Calvinistic beliefs. I will also add this, and this is one of the things that complicates the whole issue. Various people are Calvinists to varying degrees. We will talk about five-point Calvinists, which is how they are most often described. There are five points that they adhere to. Some people believe all five points. Some Calvinists believe four. Some believe three. Some So it gets, the waters are easily muddied. And that's one of the reasons that I don't think people ought to argue over it, you know, or why it ought to be contentious, because it can get so muddled. But anyway, let's go. Calvinism, what it is and why it's wrong. I'm going to start with a quote from Dave Hunt. I'll be quoting him several times here. He wrote a major volume on this. He is one that is against Calvinism. And he makes this statement. We'll start off with his quote. Furthermore, he says in his book, would it not be misrepresentation of the worst sort to offer salvation to whosoever will, when in fact 
it was only intended for a select few. To claim that all means only a select group called the elect does violence to the plain meaning of language and impugns the character of God. And it does this in order to force upon the word of God a system of religion which cannot be derived from it. I agree with him 100%. So, what is Calvinism? You may be here and you say, I've never even heard of the term before, Pastor. Or you may be here and say, I've heard of it, but I really don't know what it is. What is Calvinism? Here's a definition that I found. Calvinism, also known as Reformed theology or predestination, is a movement within Orthodox Protestantism And really, we Baptists technically do not claim to be Protestant. We did not come out of the Protestant Revolution. We existed before, during, and after the Protestant Revolution. uh, Yeah, Revolution. But anyway, Calvinism, also known as Reformed Theology or Predestination, is a movement within Orthodox Protestantism that was developed by a man named John Calvin, a French theologian, in the 1500s. Merriam-Webster defines Calvinism as the theological system of Calvin and his followers marked by a strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God, the depravity of humankind, and the doctrine of predestination. We're going to be in the weeds today a little bit, but bear with me. It's going to be worthwhile. Simply stated, Calvinism believes that some people are elected by God are preordained by God to be saved, and the rest are not and cannot be saved. i got a problem with that. i got a real problem with that. This creates serious theological issues. Let me quote Dave Hunt again. He says, My firm disagreement with Calvinism is not over God's sovereignty. I would agree with that. God is sovereign. He says, My firm disagreement with Calvinism is not over God's sovereignty, which I fully embrace and to which I submit. The issue is whether God loves all without partiality and desires all to be saved. Unquestionably, Calvinism denies such love. You say, that can't be true, Pastor. Yes, it is. That's exactly what they believe at their core, the hardcore Calvinist. The issue is whether God loves all without partiality and desires all to be saved. Unquestionably, Calvinism denies such love. But the Bible, in the clearest language, repeatedly declares God's love to all. I agree with that 100%. Why? Because it does. And his desire that all should be saved and none should be lost. Calvinism is often defined by the acronym TULIP. Let's look at that. Here's the core of the five points, the five pillars, if you will, of Calvinism. What they believe in the acronym TULIP. Start with the letter T. Total inability or total depravity. This is what Calvinists teach about this. Read on the screen behind me. By total inability, Calvin meant that a lost sinner cannot come to Jesus Christ and trust Him as Savior 
unless he is foreordained to come to Christ. By total inability, he meant that no man has the ability to come to Christ. And unless God overpowers him and gives him that ability, he will never come to Christ. I've copied this from their own teaching. This is what they believe. And you say, well, how can good godly men believe that? I don't know. That is one of the great mysteries of my life. Because I know a lot of good men that I love, that I respect, that believe this. (coughs) For the life of me, I don't understand. T stands for total depravity or total inability. It's TULIP. So U stands for unconditional election. Here's their words describing what they believe as Calvinists. By unconditional election, Calvin meant that some are elected to heaven, while others are elected to hell, and that this election is unconditional. It is wholly on God's part and without condition. By unconditional election, Calvin meant that God has already decided who will be saved and who will be lost, and the individual has absolutely nothing to do with it. He can only hope that God has elected him for heaven and not for hell. I got a problem with that. Based on what I know the Bible so clearly teaches, Tulip, total inability, unconditional election, number three, L, Limited atonement. By limited atonement, Calvin meant that Christ died only for the elect, for those he planned and ordained to go to heaven. He did not die for those he planned and ordained to go to hell. Again, I don't have to say it again. Tulip. Total inability, unconditional election, limited atonement, then I, irresistible grace. By irresistible grace, John Calvin meant that God simply forces people to be saved. God elected some to be saved, and he let Jesus Christ die for that elect group. And now by irresistible grace, he forces those he elected and those that Jesus Christ died for to be saved. Irresistible grace. Now, we do have one caveat in the five points of Calvinism, which is number five, perseverance of the saints. And two, depending on how they describe it, this one we would agree with, because I preached on this last week. Where we would agree with Calvinists is that once you are saved, you are always saved. You cannot be lost if you are truly saved. We preached on that last week. And of the five points of Calvinism, if there's one which we could concur, it would be this one. But it kind of depends on how you define perseverance, and we're not going to get into that today. But by perseverance of the saints, Calvin meant that the man uh, who has trusted Jesus Christ has everlasting life and will never perish. Finally, on that point, yes. the, The Bible is very clear about that. We discussed that last week. Those are the five points otherwise known as TULIP, which is the acronym used to describe Calvinism. Now, think about it. If I believe this, if I believed what I just read as a Calvinist, 
I would have to change the way I preached. I would have to, if I'm going to be true, okay, and, and that's what gets me because I will hear guys like John MacArthur who is a Calvinist who believes that God chooses some and they're going to be saved no matter what and some send some to hell and they're going to hell no matter what and yet they will get up and preach that you need to come to Jesus. And I'm, well, isn't that kind of a moot point? Isn't that kind of all, already been done? But if you're going to be true to what you believe, then you could get up and preach things like this. Perhaps Christ died for you. Maybe God so loved you. I don't know. I don't know who he's picked and who he hadn't picked. Christ shed his blood for you, perhaps, if you're, quote, lucky. Salvation has been provided for you, maybe. Possibly God commended his love towards you. Hopefully he is the propitiation for your sins. There's a possibility that Christ died as your substitute, and I bring you good news, maybe. Really, and I'm not being facetious, but I mean, if you're going to be true to what you believe, it would necessitate to be honest with people you're preaching to that you would have to take that approach. Now, who are the Calvinists? I've got a list for you. As a rule... Primitive Baptists are those who are Baptists that call themselves Reformed. Presbyterian churches as a whole are Calvinists. Those that just call themselves Reformed churches, Calvinists. The United Church of Christ, the Protestant Reformed churches in America are all Calvinist. Men that you may or may not know that call themselves Calvinists, I mentioned John MacArthur, John Piper, Al Mohler, Mark Dever, A.W. Pink, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and yes, to some degree, and sometimes I believe he is, most times I believe he isn't, Charles Spurgeon has called himself a Calvinist. But again, the trick here is some of these people are just one-point Calvinists, two-point Calvinists, three-point Calvinists. That's where the waters get really muddied. And people are Calvinists to the varying degrees of agreement and commitment, and I really think it's, it's just something that gets people off course and gets people away from the real business of the church, and that's sharing the gospel with people. I've heard the arguments put forth, and I'm not the least bit convinced. And for some reason, and this perplexes me also, and I don't, I don't think I'm out of line in saying this, and I think other men that know more than me would agree with me on this one, for whatever reason, it tends to be the hyper-intellectual crowd that is into the, the Calvinism, the, the super smart guy. Maybe that's why I'm not a Calvinist right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't qualify intellectually uh, to be a part of their, of their club. But that, that does seem to be the case, and, and, and I really don't understand that as well. You know, I came to a conclusion a few years ago because I don't think the average person reading their Bible comes up with Calvinism. I don't think Grandma, reading her Bible on the front porch, would ever come up with the idea of Calvinism. So I came to the conclusion a few years ago that if it takes a Ph.D. theologian to point out something to me in the Bible that I've missed all my life, that's going to be suspect. Because on my own growing up, I never came up with it. 
Until I became a pastor and people started asking me about Calvinism, I said, well, I hear it talked about, you know, let me, let me find it. And it had to be pointed out to me. And again, if it takes a PhD to show me something that I can't find for myself just reading the Word of God and trusting the simplicity of the language, then it is going to be suspect. Let's consider these five points of Calvinism one at a time. Let's consider total inability or total depravity. Again, by total inability, he meant that no man has the ability to come to Christ unless God overpowers him and gives him that ability. He will never come to Christ. Well, it is true that the Bible teaches that we are sinners. And if, you, if in that sense you say that we are totally depraved, then, then yes. The Bible teaches total depravity in the sense that it means that there is nothing good in man that would cause us to earn or deserve salvation. I agree with that. The Bible says in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible in Romans chapter 3, verse number 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I would agree with that. But while the Bible teaches the depravity of the human race, it nowhere teaches total inability. Yeah, we're sinners. But it doesn't mean that we can't choose Christ. John 5, 39. It says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, And they are they which testify of me. And listen to verse number 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. You will not. It's not that you cannot, which they teach. The Bible is very clear here. You have a choice. God gave you a free will. He says you will not come to me. And that belies what they say. Well, you cannot. You, total depravity. You are a dead man. There's nothing you can do. God will just declare you saved or he will declare you eternally lost. You know, that kind of takes responsibility away from man, doesn't it? And it kind of makes God just kind of this arbitrary, I don't know. It's not a matter of whether or not you can come to Christ. It's a matter of whether or not you will come to Christ. That's why, folks, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto me, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus is lamenting the fact that, yes, there is the sovereignty of God, but there's the free will of man. And yes, there's some tension there. But he is acknowledging here, he is crying because they would not. Why would he cry if, why would he lament if it wasn't their decision to make? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. You know, if somebody's predestined to this or predestined to that, no reason for me to shed a tear over anything. Nothing I can do, nothing they can do. It just doesn't make sense. 
Notice he did not say, how often would I have gathered you together, but you could not. He didn't say that. He said, ye would not. If it's true that a person doesn't have the ability to come to Christ, then why would Jesus say in John 5.40, you will not come to me? Why didn't he say, you cannot come to me? Listen to this quote on the screen behind me. The only thing that stands between the sinner and salvation is the sinner's will. God made every man a free moral agent, and God never burglarizes the human will. There's a story of D.L. Moody. He addressed a large group of uh, skeptics. And he said, I want to talk to you about the word believe and the word receive and the word take. When Mr. Moody had finished the sermon, he asked, who will come and take Christ as Savior? And one man stood and said, I can't. And Mr. Moody said, don't say I can't. Say I won't. And the man said then, I won't. The story goes that another man said, I will. And another man stood and said, I will. And another said, I will. Until many people at that meeting came to trust Christ as their Savior. So, in the final analysis, men go to hell not because of their inability to come to Christ, but because they will not come to Christ. That's significant. That's important. And that makes sense. Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. The teaching that men and women and children are totally unable to come to Christ and trust Him as Savior is not a scriptural doctrine. The language itself is not scriptural. You know, scripture, in, fi- in fact, supports free will. John 1.12. I mean, again, I want to make the case not from my opinion, but from the Word of God. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even... Th- Them that believe on his name. To as many as received him. Some did. Some didn't. Some chose to receive him. Some didn't. Mark 8.34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why would he make that appeal if the decision is already made? He says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That would be cruel to make that appeal. And there are certain people there that can't because they are preordained not to. That they were born going to hell and they don't have a chance. And listen to this practical passage in Joshua chapter 24, verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, listen to this, he's giving them a choice. This is God's servant. This is recorded in Scripture. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served that were on the other side of the flood are the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And then he says this. He says, I'm making up my mind, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Calvinism just doesn't fit in that scenario. Anyway, I mean, you'd have to try to force it into that scriptural passage, and it's just not there. Listen to this quote. The very fact that Paul, Apollos, and the early other early evangelists expended so much time and energy in persuading men to believe the gospel is completely contrary to the concept of both total depravity and irresistible grace. And that is so true. Total depravity, as taught by Calvinists, is based on perhaps a well-meaning, but nonetheless a misunderstanding of Scripture. My Bible tells me clearly, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever. And I can proclaim that here this morning. I can proclaim it on the street corner. I can proclaim it in your home. I can proclaim it witnessing to an individual that's grieving. I can proclaim it to someone that's dealing with all the stress of life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you accepted him? Do you know Christ is your Savior? The offer is free. It is open, and you can choose to accept it or to reject it. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.